The guest in this episode of Weekend Birder lives and works on the country of the Jadwajali people. I would like to pay my respect to Elders past and present. The Jadwajali people's connections to the land, animals, seas, waterways and sky continues to be part of the very fibres of their being. I would like to thank them for their significant contributions to community, to science and to the health of country. Welcome to Weekend Verda. I'm your host, Kirsty Costa, and I am thrilled to introduce you to Richard Hill. Richard is a conservation biologist, and he is here to tell us all about the red-tailed black cockatoo. Firstly, let's find out how Richard grew his interest in birds. My dad had birds in aviaries when I was young. He had a bunch of gars and quail. I remember being particularly struck by the quail for some reason, but probably more so through my grandfather, who was a farmer in Western Victoria. And he had interest in birds. And, and I remember one year we gave grandfather and Parama a copy of the Reader's Digest book of Australian Bird Illustrators or something like that. It was one of the first full-colour, big coffee table books, so all Australian birds, and somehow that book really grabbed me. And that plus Pa had a you know, farmer's interest, or more than just latent interest you know, in birds, and, and he taught me the local names of common birds around the thrush, the grey-striped thrush, the tomtit, the little yellow-rumped thornbill, common in, in um, parts of Western Victoria, around grasslands and stuff. So through that, the terror of having uh, the magpies you know, attack me as I'd ride down the, the laneway to pick up the mail, all those things meant, I don't know, the birds really grabbed me. I grew up in Melbourne and, and one stage, uh, I spent a few years, almost three years on Christmas Island doing my Masters and was eventually summoned back to Melbourne to finish writing it up, which didn't seem like a great idea to me. But anyway, we ended up back in Melbourne with my girlfriend then and then soon to be wife and in Melbourne in writing up the Masters I was working for BirdLife and knew there was a job on Redtail Black Cockatoos that was coming up and I was lucky enough to get it and we then decided to move to Western Victoria to work on this what was then a three-year full-time project. Yes that's how we came to to Caston. I had this wonderful job which was to look at and try and understand how this rare black cockatoo was going trying to understand the key threats which were keeping it so so rare and how we might try and understand a better manager to help help it recover. Cockatoos are a family of large, long-lived and very noisy parrots with movable crests on their heads. Australia is home to 14 of the 21 global species of cockatoo, with others also found in Papua New Guinea, Indonesia, the Solomon Islands and the Philippines. Galahs are the most widespread cockatoo and you can find them throughout Australia. You might have also seen members of the cockatoo family like corellas, gangang cockatoos, cockatiels and sulphur-crested cockatoos. Parrots and cockatoos are such a big part of our landscape, aren't they? And, and the noises they make. I mean, there's something like the sulphur-crested cockatoo, the big white cockatoo with a lovely lemon crest. When you look for it and see it, that lovely lemon wash on, on the underside of the wings of a, of a sulphur-crested cockatoo, just a gorgeous bird. And then it opens its mouth and you say, holy moly, you know, that's such an awful sound. <laughs> You know, so the, the sounds are a big part of our landscape as well, and they don't not often don't sort of really match, do they? But the, the red-tailed black cockatoo is—it's a widespread species. You know, there's subspecies, you know, a, a variety if you like in Queensland, another one in Northern Territory and the Kimberleys. There's one in far southwest Western Australia, and then there's a desert one. That's four so far, and then there's one in southwest Victoria, straddling the border with South Australia. Those other subspecies, for the most part, are, you know, really 
reasonably widespread in common. The, the little forest one in southwest WA is a bit like ours. It's smaller and, and a very rural forest specialist. It's still a lot more common, even though it's listed as, as threatened. It's much more common than our bird over here, which is the smallest of the retail blacks and has a short wings and short tail and occurs just in this small area and is, is really quite rare. There's only about 1,000 to 1,500 of them. A beautiful thing is called Graptogyne, which means brightly coloured female. The female is the most brightly coloured of the different red tail black octopus. Really striking spots and bars on the breast and those beautiful tail feathers. Yeah, I've got one here. Obviously, the listeners can't see, but it's yeah, it's this black these panels of yellow and a sort of fire orangey red and um, just the most beautiful tail feathers and do have real cultural significance to traditional owners of this part of the world as well. The male is really the black cockatoo. It's black. Well, he opens his tail. Do you see the lovely orangey red panels of throughout the tail? But that's concealed when the, when the tail's closed. So he's basically black. And the, the female is really more a dark charcoal grey, but she's got lots and lots of very pale, lemony cream coloured bars and spots on her breast and on over her head and on her shoulders. And her tail feather is the one that I just described previously with the lovely panels of, of yellow and black and, and orangey fire. Sometimes people mistake them and say, well, I saw a flock and there was all these red tails, but there's a whole lot of the yellow tails in there as well. And the yellow tails are like females in those flocks. And in fact, the young ones as well, the, all the young birds up until age three, including age three, all have that female plumage and that beautiful tail feather. I think fire-tailed black cockatoo would be a better name. As Richard mentioned, the cockatoo that he is researching is the southeastern red-tailed black cockatoo, which is only found in southeast South Australia and southwest Victoria. You might know the yellow-tailed black cockatoo with its yellow cheek patch and yellow panels on the tail. The red-tailed black cockatoo is different for the reasons that Richard just explained. The southeastern red-tailed black cockatoo only eats the seeds of two types of stringy bark tree. The brown stringy bark is a gum tree that has thick fibrous bark and can grow up to 40 metres in height. Cockatoos will pretty much spend all of their time feeding on the seeds and nuts of this tree. And they spend many, many hours a day just sitting in the branches, quietly opening the capsules and taking the seeds out of those nuts. And there's another one called the bull oak, which is a type of casuarina or she oak. They use that summer and autumn just for a short period when those seeds are actually on the tree. The gum trees, the stringy bucks, the seeds stay on the tree, the nuts stay on the tree for a couple of years. And so there's a continual food source throughout the year in the stringy bark in the um, casuarina is just a month or two, a couple of months a year. Spring and early summer is the red-tailed black cockatoo's breeding season, and they are generally seen alone or in family groups of two to three birds. In autumn and winter, flocks of 100 to 250 cockatoos can be seen in areas with a good food supply. Trees also play an important role for the nesting of cockatoos. All parrots and cockatoos in Australia basically nest in, in tree hollows, which develop in gum trees when branches fall off and they, and they rot out. And a combination of termites and fungus and things rot out and create these hollows. Um, the size of the hollow you need depends on the size of your body. The black cockatoos are big cockatoos. They need big hollows. And they're like big means, you know, 60 centimetres or 60 or 80 centimetres deep. Internal diameter of 30 centimetres or so. There's quite big hollows. Those big hollows only develop in big gum trees so that's what they need those big gum trees are unfortunately much rarer than they used to be because a lot of them occur on good ground that's been converted to farmland they've been cleared or fallen over so that's one of the things that these birds seem to be short of now it's just those big gum trees in which to nest or big hollows in which to nest there are about 1,500 southeastern red-tailed black cockatoos living in the wild which means that they are endangered and considered a threatened species 
So it's important that Richard and his team evaluate how its nesting and breeding is going. To do this, dozens and dozens of nests need to be included in their research so that they can get an estimate of the average nesting success. The nests are hard to find. They don't nest in the same place every year. They change nest every year, pretty much. I mean, another problem with this is the nests tend to be really high and they're really dangerous to get up to or difficult or you need a cherry picker. All these things mean that normal methods that we use to don't really work. And so what we've come up with is a way of using the calls that they make around the nest site, which are quite distinctive. You know, birds are really vocal. And like I said, they make a whole range of sounds. Luckily, red tails calls aren't as bad as, you know, they're really lovely sounds, not as awful as the self-crested they actually have quite lovely calls not revealing my bias of course and they have particular calls that they only use around the nest and so what we do is put recorders at the nest at the trees where we've seen them nesting before which they tend to come back to every two to three years so at the start of the breeding season in september we put on these recorders which can record for 10 weeks continually or not continually but you know without changing the batteries kind of thing and if the bird if a cockatoo comes there they tend to come in the evening the male and female arrive and they use a sort of behavior which we know pretty well and they call to each other and then the female or she may be on the nest because she spends the first of six weeks of the nest just sitting on the nest really on the egg the single egg just one egg or looking after the little baby so she will give a call from inside the nest when he starts he yells out I'm coming I'm coming and she goes okay I can hear you kind of thing and she climbs out of, <laughs> out of the nest and she calls there as well and then she flies off you can hear quite well on, on these little recorders so even though we we can't see what's going on a few of us know the birds well enough we can then interpret by listening to it. And it's very cool. So you get masses of data from this. It's huge amounts of data. And we send it up to a, a girl, Danny, who's did a PhD and now works as a researcher at Queensland Uni of Technology. And we send these huge hard drives with masses of data up to And she's developed up these computer algorithms to sort through this masses of data using big computer because it's a lot of computing time and stuff. And it spits out the end of it saying, I think a cockatoo was here. I think there was one here. And we just go through and say, oh, yeah, that was a cockatoo. That was a cockatoo. That one's definitely nesting. I can hear the call. And through that, we just develop a history of each nest and can tell whether it was used or not and whether it was successful or not, which is cool. And for the first time, we're able to do that. To give you a quick idea of what these birds sound like, here's Eddie Smith's recording of the southeastern red-tailed black cockatoos in flight in South Australia. Richard says that the technique that his team uses for recording sound in the cockatoo's habitat and then using software to locate the cockatoo's calls in the sound files is leading to finding nests in surprising places. We had a student who's just finished his master's and, you know, I said to him, oh, look, it's pretty hard to find a nest. You just can't go and randomly put your recorders out in the tree and expect a cockatoo to turn up. But he did that anyway, so he ignored me. And... <laughs> And really interesting when he came back, if he had put out 20 recorders, maybe five of them had nests in them or something. We only really just started doing this the last couple of years. So in the next year or two, we're going to get a much better understanding of breeding success and then start to understand you know, what it is about those nests that are successful versus ones that are not. Are they closer to the stringy bark? Are they closer to the stringy bark that have had good seed crop in the last 12 months kind of thing? And that's why we'll build up a better picture of what they need to nest successfully and, and hopefully how to find and protect and recreate more areas like that. The main southeastern red-tailed black cockatoo nest and population monitoring that Richard and his team do every year is organised by BirdLife Australia. People from the community volunteer their time to visit about 70 sites. Richard says that these sites are really big. 
Each one's about, you know, 100 square kilometres, 10 by 10. And within that, there'll be blocks of stringy bark and they drive around on their, in their four drives. So this all happens on a single day in, in May, the first Saturday in May. And across the range, this great huge area of, you know, it's almost 20,000 square kilometres that the bird occurs within, within the stringy bark areas. And they drive those areas, listening for and, and recording copper twos. That's a big deal. And uh, it's only made possible because people like, like doing that. And they like helping and, and just love a nice day out the bush when i first arrived here a guy had only recently retired his name was dick cooper he um, got in touch with me and said oh yeah i reckon i might be able to show you some some cockatoos and i said sure and so we met out out in the bush and sure enough he did he absolutely knew what a cockatoo was and so we started talking about cockatoos he'd only recently re- retired his sadly his wife had died on in the last couple of years and this for him and for the two of us became such an important a relationship and friendship <laughs> so <laughs> I'm getting a bit emotional describing because he, he only died two years ago now, I think. Well, Moby was such a great friend and became so important in, in helping me understand the cockatoos because he'd spent a lot of time watching them himself already. And together we spent you know, hundreds of hours in the bush, really, driving around or meeting up out in the bush. And also he knew the, the names of all the farmers around because our bush out here is patches of bush which are surrounded by farmland. The nests very often were in farmland on private land and no one was going to let me on just, just by tapping on the door and saying, hello, I'm from BirdLife Australia. I'd like to come and look at your cockatoos. You know, a lot of people were going to say, well, okay, but go somewhere else. But with Dick, he knew all these people and he said, you know, we'd either turn up or we'd give him a call and say, look, my mate Richard, you know, he's a good fella. He won't leave any gates open. And it was all I needed. And so between us, it was just absolutely crucial in maybe able to do my work and then learning. Yeah, and if we had dignitaries from time to time, we'd have some of the you know, VIP. You know, the governor of Victoria was one of them at one stage. And and Dick was the, he, he was out every week. And so oh, taking his dog Tammy for a walk and and Dick said, oh yeah, Sharp's track down the end of there. I saw some birds there the other day. You'll be right. You'll find some there kind of thing. And um, otherwise, they're very, very hard to find. So yeah, it's not a matter of just driving out in the bush and seeing them. Bird watchers know that this cockatoo is hard to find and you can spend days and days and days searching fruitlessly for this cockatoo. So he was um, so important in many ways. Thank you for everything you did for Cockatoos, Dick, and for the help that you gave Richard and his team. This episode of Weekend Birder is in your memory and acknowledges your incredible legacy. This is yet another example of the goodness of people and how communities are working together to love and protect birds. Richard's final piece of birdwatching advice for us is to get a decent pair of binoculars. The best thing you can do for yourself is to buy a good pair of binoculars. Really, it's such a difference. You can struggle with a pair of poor quality binoculars and just really not get the pleasure that bird watching brings because one of the absolute delights of bird watching is looking closely and having this beautiful, intimate close up with these animals. And they, and good binoculars are so, so wonderful. The, the detail you can see with them, you know, it, it's, it's a, such a lovely thing. You know, the rewards can maybe be, be a bit thin on the ground, but with a good pair of binoculars, you know, just watching a, a, a magpie or any common bird, a crimson rosella, these things, they just, in a good pair of binoculars, they sort of leap out of the binoculars. In, you know, they're just wonderful. And another thing to do, if, if you're at all musically mind, minded, is that the calls of birds are such a delight. Not the cockatoo I mentioned before, <laughs> they're, they're self-aggressive, but so many of our birds, and we've got some of the most beautiful songbirds in terms of their calls they make in, in the world. You know, the pied butcher bird's call is considered to be, you know, blows the nightingale out of the water, really. You know, it's, it's, um, it's just the most gorgeous, gorgeous call. And lots of our songbirds do have beautiful calls. So both of those things. But yeah, a good pair of binoculars, I reckon, too. It's a fabulous start. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy schedule to chat with us, Richard. 
I have a new appreciation for red-tailed black cockatoos and now know more about where they live, what they eat and how scientists are researching their nesting behaviours. You can find out more about Richard's research in the episode notes or by visiting the Weekend Birder website. And many thanks to everyone who have recently sent an email or reached out on social media. It's so great to hear from you and I'm so glad that this podcast is of value to you and the people around you.